The Epistle of Paul the Apostle to the Colossians, Chapter 1 For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled, in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 23. We do not put our primary text on the screen because I want you to bring your Bibles to church. So open your Bibles, turn your Bibles on, light your Bibles up, never get rid of your paper Bibles. Somebody came by the church one day, a former member, very concerned. He says, I'm very concerned about the electronic Bibles. Why? He said, all it takes is to blow a satellite out of the sky and we lose the word of God. I said, well, don't, don't lose your paper Bible. So Paul is writing to a church in Colossae. It's my understanding he had never been there. He had been nearby, planted a church in Ephesus, and they were part of this church growing in this nearby community. And writing them to encourage him, he said, verse 9 of Colossians 1, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Who moved here from another community? All right. Who were part of a great congregation in that other community? I encourage you to pray for them still. Pray for them. Who's going to pray for the former church you're part of? Just pray for them. This is what Paul is doing here, although he had never even visited them as far as I know. So he prayed for them that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in wisdom and spiritual understanding. Sometimes you may feel the Lord is speaking to you, but you need to seek 
counsel, seek wisdom. When the Lord speaks big things, he will confirm the big things. So don't go to Timbuktu just on a feeling. Be sure you've clearly heard God. Yes, Timbuktu is a real place. They're having problems there right now. Then he also prayed in verse 10 that you walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Who would receive a prayer like that? Oh, yes, Lord, let that be so. Verse 11, strengthen with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and longsuffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. End of our first paragraph today. So his, in his prayer, he begins to teach. <laughs> he just can't help it. That we have redemption, that we've been translated from one kingdom to another. He is the image of the invisible God. Now he begins to declare the glories of Jesus, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, we ask for a show of hands. If that was us, it'd be raised across the room. Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. So end of our reading for today. I want to zero in on the middle two paragraphs, verse 15 through 19. The first paragraph is about prayer for this church, and he winds up teaching them about their salvation. He concludes this part of our reading by talking about the impact that Jesus has upon us. But these middle two paragraphs are like the original church creed. They're like a hymn declaring the glories of Jesus. Can we say glory? glory? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, there are some cults out there that say, oh, this is proof that Jesus was a created being. But you got to realize firstborn is a rank. It's a position. The firstborn child in ancient cultures got the double blessing, the double inheritance. They were raised to be theoretically the most responsible, and so they were blessed by their position. Christ is the firstborn over all creation because he is a creator. He preexisted creation. Some translations say he's the firstborn of creation, and that's where the confusion starts. So think of it like this. You can be a coach of a football team. 
that doesn't mean the football team produced you. Christ can be the firstborn of creation, doesn't mean he's a created being, right? Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation, before the foundation of the world, he was in existence. All right, verse 16, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. So everything's created in heaven and in earth, and he's a creator of it. He has to preexist it, correct? Visible and invisible. The macro universe and the micro. The tiniest particle. He's the creator of all. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Tell yourself, Jesus is creator. Verse 7, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Hebrews says that he's a sustainer of the universe by saying he upholds all things by the word of his power. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now, there's something there that hadn't been before. He rose from the dead first, never to die again. There had been previous resurrections, but within a period of time, those people died. So those past resurrections were like resuscitations. If you die in the ER and they bring you back to life, that's not an eternal resurrection. That's a resuscitation. So he is a firstborn to rise from the dead, never to die again. That in all things, he may have the preeminence. Everything is about Jesus. 4, verse 19, it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus bodily. I think it's Hebrews that says that. And by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So his life poured out from the cross, paid the fine that was due for our sin. The punishment that was served by being separation from God for all of eternity has been remedied through the blood of Jesus. Can we say thank you, Jesus? like to speak to you today on honoring Christ's supremacy. Can we say the supremacy of Christ? To architects, he's the chief cornerstone. To bakers, he's the bread of life. To builders, Jesus is the firm foundation. To the condemned, he is our righteousness. To the stained, he shed the blood that washes whiter than snow. To darkness, Jesus is the light of the world that makes the darkness tremble. Can I get an amen? amen. To the dead, he is the resurrection. To doctors, he's the great physician. To farmers, he's the seed of woman to bring life to the world. To hunters, he is the treasure. To jewelers, he's the pearl of great price. To judges, he is the truth infallible. To lawyers, he is the just, incorruptible lawgiver supreme over all other lawyers. To the lonely, he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. 
To the lost, he is the way. To the traveler, he's the way, the great highway. To the sinner, he is the savior. To the outdoorsman, he's the fisher of men. To the religious, he offers genuine relationship. To sheep, he's the lamb of God. To shepherds, he's the chief shepherd. To the sick, he is the one with healing in his wings. For sinners, he takes away the sin of the world. And to writers, he is the word of life, the very word of God. Can I get a hallelujah? Hallelujah. So we're going to talk about Christ's supremacy over creation and over his people. So let's start with over creation, honoring Christ's supremacy over creation. He is the image of God made visible. Colossians 1:15, we just read this. He is the image of the invisible God. Why is this an incredible blessing? Because if God were made visible, being everywhere in time and space, you would be blind. Number one, you'd be cooked. He's a consuming fire. But number two, you couldn't see anything else. You would not be able to function in creation. Yet God is still everywhere in his invisibility. Yet Christ came, the word of God made flesh, and lived as a man among us so that our forefathers could see him and enjoy him and see with their own eyes what he was alike for 33 plus years. I know the world didn't see him until the last three and a half years, but his family certainly saw him and were impacted by by the writings of two of his brothers who knew him very dearly. So he made God visible. He is God manifested in the flesh. Jesus is the highest in rank over all creation, the firstborn over all creation. He's the highest and he identifies with the lowest. He is the Alpha and Omega, the A and the Z, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He relates to all because of his superior rank. And through his spirit now, we have access to him spiritually. So God chose all his fullness to dwell in him, and he chose to pour out his Holy Spirit, this is all in the plan of God, to reveal him. The Holy Spirit comes not to talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to reveal the Father and the Son. We know about the Holy Spirit from the writings of the apostles that wrote down the teachings of Jesus who talked about the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit's primary function in the earth is to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. To show the world what Jesus is like. Through us, we are the body of Christ. He's the firstborn. He's the head. He's the general. He's the admiral. He's not the secretary of the Navy. He's the Navy. Jesus is the creator of all things. Not for those things, but for himself, for his enjoyment. All things were created through him and for him. The chair you're sitting on was made by materials that he made. Somebody, and this is a joke, obviously, challenged God to a creation demonstration. And he's going to show God how to make gold out of dirt. I can do that too. And God said, hold on, get your own dirt. (laughs) He is the one who preexisted everything. He is before all things, and he's a sustainer of the universe. In him, all things 
consists. He holds it all together. Take him out of the picture and everything burns up. Everything flies apart. The fingerprint of God is in everything. It's all in orbits and circles. What holds it all together? From the tiniest atom to the largest galaxy, the fingerprint of God is at work in these things that all work together. Stars being born and stars going out. He made it all and holds it all together. When things go wrong, he's showing us what life is like without him. I love Hebrews. In chapter 1, says the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word, the word of his power. This is the supremacy of Christ over creation. Now, let's look at it over his people. Who's part of his people? His church, his ecclesia, his assembly, his corporate people. He's the head of his body, his church, the body, the church. In time and space, universal church, throughout history and around the world, Christ is the head. There's no grand poopa or popa to take his place. No disrespect intended, just have to say the truth. He needs no vicar. He is Lord. And no one sits in his seat. He is Lord. He shares his glory with no one. He has preeminence. And what are local churches? They are expressions of the universal church. And while we have leaders and teams and ministers in multiplicity, we all recognize he's the great shepherd. If I'm a shepherd, it's an under-shepherd. The way I see it, I'm just a guy needing to follow Jesus, trying to follow Jesus and inviting people to let's follow him together. So today we're talking about the one we're following. He is the first to resurrect forever, the firstborn from the dead, never to die again. Through him, we lose our fear of death. You may have a loved one that was resuscitated in the ER, and you're glad to still have her around or him around. It's wonderful. Soak it up. Enjoy the fellowship, but it's not going to last forever unless the Lord returns. So don't sit around worrying because we have hope and deliverance from the fear of death because He conquered death for us and has promised us that he's the first fruits of all who have fallen asleep. The dead in Christ will rise first. Right now, from the earthly perspective, they're asleep. From the heavenly perspective, they're absent from the body and present with the Lord, whatever that looks like. Fear not, Jesus said in Revelation 1. Fear not, I am the first and the last I'm he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. He has authority over it all. And the sooner we tell him you can have it all, Lord, the better. Our life lines up with reality. Now, some are accusing God of being an egomaniac, as revealed in the Bible, but actually he's not. He's just stating facts. He's not bragging. He's just stating facts in the most loving manner possible to the point of dying for our wickedness. How dare 
Sinful mankind accused God of being a narcissist. How dumb can you get and still breathe? He's a hero of heroes. He's the Lord of lords. He's the king of kings. He's the emperor of all emperors. He's the savior of the world. How many is glad to know him? We're honoring Christ's supremacy over his people. He is the preeminent one in all things. He has supremacy. There's no one like him. There's never going to be anyone like him. But we reflect him. And we're promised that when he appears, we'll be made like him. But we're not going to be creating our own worlds and having celestial babies and all that nonsense that a certain cult preaches. We're going to be worshiping him for eternity and serving him in a new heaven and a new earth and a new city where he is the light. So he has a preeminence. The sooner we line up with that, the better. You know where to live each day as the Lord wills? I know we're to plan our day, plan our way, have dreams to pursue, but always pursue the Lord with our dreams is what we should do. But if everything is as the Lord wills, when bad things go wrong, we don't get as shook up. God's got this. Our forefathers made it in hard times, right? It's been hot before, and this planet, the Bible says, is going to melt with a fervent heat. So people are getting an appetizer. Better get ready. ready. Get right with God. He's not going to flood the earth with water again. But no more, like the old spiritual says, no more water. Fire next time. You know, a shift in the balance of gases in the atmosphere, the place does go up in flames. All right, moving right along. Honoring Christ's supremacy over his people. He is the fullness of God personified. This is why we worship him. This is why we honor him. There are some cults that say he's just a God, little g. They're wrong. They need to read the scriptures. No wonder they want to write their own Bible and cut certain portions out. Years ago, I took one of their holy books that they want the world to read that every other verse says it came to pass, it came to pass, and it came to pass. I mean, come on, can't, couldn't the writers get creative? And it came to pass, and it came to pass. And it was written in the 19th century and 15th century English. Very doubtful. So one day I tore it apart. I just held it up like it was a Bible. You know, some people don't believe the Old Testament has any relevance for us today. Ripped it in half, threw it down. Some people believe Jesus came as an Old Testament prophet and nothing he said relates to us in the New Testament. So I ripped out the four gospels or what people thought was the four gospels. And some people believe Revelation's completely fulfilled, so we ripped that out. Some people don't like the writings of Paul. I ripped that out. I was just left with a few pages by the time I was done demonstrating and people were gasping, my God, he's destroying the Bible. But all I was doing was illustrating what people are doing with Jesus and his word. If he's the fullness of God personified, and he promised to build his church, and the gates of hell would never prevail against it, then we have confidence in the gospel and his promises. And let's move forward. Stop fighting Jesus. In him, verse 9 says, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. 
He's the permanent peacemaker. Through him, verse 20 says, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross. He fully paid sin's penalty. He fully displayed his victory over darkness. He fully won the battle over death. Can we say complete? And we're complete in him. It's not like the world's peace. The world's peace doesn't hold if it's based on compromise. And that's a political thing to do. Back in the day, peace was established by conquest. I feel for Ukraine. Uh, the world's not willing to stomp their enemy. We're just going to have this draining us for years to come. None of my opinions are welcome here. We're talking about the supremacy of Christ. You may have seen this before, but I love this sermon by the late Reverend S.M. Lockridge declaring the kingship of Jesus. Watch this. The Bible says he's a king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. Do you know him? No means of measure can define his limitless love. Well, well, he's in turnless form. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's impurely powerful. He's impartially much. Do you know him? He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. Do you know him? He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? My king is a king of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, I wish I could describe him to you, but he, he's indescribable. He's indescribable. Yeah. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mouth. You can't get him off of your hands. You can't out 
I'm living and you can't live without him. Well, Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Yeah! He always has been, and he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor, and he'll have no successor. You can't even beat him, and he's not going to resign. That's my In the Bible, every book of the Bible reveals him in unique ways, either through parallels or stories or likenesses or shadows or reflections. In Genesis, he's seen as the seed of woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's the great high priest. In Numbers, he's the rock that brings living water. In Deuteronomy, he's the promised prophet. In Joshua, he's the captain of the Lord of hosts. In Judges, he's the great and final judge. In Ruth, he's a heavenly kinsman redeemer. In 1 and 2 Samuel, he is the anointed one whose kingdom will never end. In 1 and 2 Kings, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. In 1 and 2 Chronicles, he's the glory of God and the temple of God. In Ezra, he's the teacher from God. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of broken cities and lives. In Esther, he is the protector of his people. In Job, he is the comforter. In Psalms, he is the good shepherd. In Ecclesiastes, he's the preacher of the kingdom of God. In the Song of Songs, he's the bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's the mighty God, the everlasting father and the prince of peace. The government is upon his shoulders will never end. In Jeremiah, he's the potter of the clay. In Lamentations, he's the weeping one. In Ezekiel, he's the wheel in the middle of a wheel. In Daniel, he's the son of man and the fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Hosea, he's the love of God to the backslider. In Joel, he's the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. In Amos, he's the restorer of ruins. In Obadiah, he's the judge of all who do evil. In Jonah, he's the salvation of our Lord. In Micah, he's a ruler over Israel. In Nahum, he's a stronghold in the day of trouble. In Habakkuk, he's the God of mercy. In Zephaniah, he's a mighty warrior who saves. In Haggai, he's a desire of all nations. In Zechariah, he's the branch, the branch of Jehovah, the sun pierced for us. In Malachi, he's a refiner's fire and the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. In Matthew, he's the kingly Messiah and the suffering servant. In Mark, he's a miracle worker. In Luke, he's a savior of all. In John, he's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In Acts, he's the risen Lord who baptizes his people in the Holy Spirit. In Romans, he's our justification. In the Corinthian letters, he's our sanctification. In Galatians, he's our liberation. In Ephesians, he's our perfection. In Philippians, he's our joy. In Colossians, he's the head of the body, the church. In the Thessalonian letters, he's the coming Lord. In the letters to Timothy, he's a judge of all men. In Titus, he's a redeemer of the world. In Philemon, he's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In Hebrews, he's the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, 
today and forever. In James, he is the power of our faith. In Peter's letters, he's a chief shepherd and overseer of our souls. In John's letters, he's a word of life. In Jude, he's a coming one. And in Revelation, he's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the one who was worthy to receive our worship. Let's give him some praise. Hallelujah. exhortation that I wanted to read. It's been going through my spirit all weekend. And uh, gosh, what a sermon we had today. 
being able to have joy in the midst of a trial is not a human thing. It comes directly from the Lord. And this I want to declare on, over each and every person as we walk out there into the world. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present, present your request to God in the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think continually about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, of course that's Paul speaking, or seen, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Thank you, Jeff. That was a reading from Paul's writing to the church in Philippi, where he got the tar beat out of him, put in jail, remember, from chapter 4 of his letter. Lord, we receive your word. We recognize you as supreme. And what you have to say to us through your word, through the original apostles, and Lord, help us to go out there and be a light for you. In Jesus' name, we have nothing to fear because we follow the supreme Lord Jesus Christ. May he bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, shalom peace, wholeness, peace that's based upon conquest from his finished works on Calvary and not on any human's compromise. In Jesus' name, amen. Bow to no one but the Lord. Go get him, tigers.